Amen. Praise God. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Well, it's good to be here with you once again. I know it's been a long time. Maybe you didn't really feel it was that long, but it was for me. And I almost feel like I'm a guest speaker here today, so I'm really nervous to be preaching here for some reason. But it's so good to see at least half of your faces right now. Uh, but good to see you all again. Booty, Melanie, it's good to see you again. It's been a long time. Wow, it's so good to be here with you all. Uh, as you know, we were in America for, I think, four months, perhaps. Uh, but just to give you an idea of what was happening in America, when my wife and I and our kids first came here in 2011, I was an Assemblies of God minister in America, and we just, without being sent by the Assemblies of God, we just came to Indonesia. I felt God called us, and we just came. We met with Pastor Subekti and all of his family, and, and we uh, were able to be a part of Alpha Omega International here. But, you know, as the years have gone by, I felt that it was important for me to do what I felt was most appropriate, appropriate and right for our family. And that was to seek a full appointment as missionaries to Indonesia. And so our going to America, it was with a, a whole long application process with interviews and meetings. They wanted to meet not only with me, but the, the Assemblies of God wanted to meet with Hira. And I can tell you they were more impressed, I think, with Hira than they were with me. But after a long process, we have finally uh, been commissioned and given full appointment to be missionaries to Indonesia. That doesn't change anything about what I'm doing here with all of you, uh, but it just it, it, it makes us a part of what we should be a, a part of. Uh, it, it kind of makes sense uh, to go this route. And so anyway, nothing changes as far as what we're doing here. Uh, praise God, we'll do more here. Uh, but anyway, we are now uh, appointed as missionaries to Indonesia, and we're just thankful that God has opened that door for us. There was a little bit more that we needed to do, but we had to come back and uh, certainly see all of you again. So thank you uh, for your patience with us. Thank you for welcoming us back. Thank you that I still have a job here as a pastor for you. And uh, with that, let's move right into the Word of God. Now, Pastor Sifera, let me know that this month has been a family month. And so for today, she asked me to speak on the subject of husbands. So, wives, if you're sitting next to your husband, just let them know, if there's any time you pay attention, let it be today. We want to talk about what it means to be a husband. In fact, today's message is entitled, God's Design for a Husband. So wives, sit back. Relax, and let me preach to your husbands today. Young people, young ladies, remember what God has planned for you. Young men, remember what the Lord says about you as you grow up, and one day look for your own wife in this world. There's something for all of us here today, whether you're married or not. But let's begin today by opening our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read verse 25 to 27. And as you're turning to that page, would you stand with me in honor of God's Word? I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. Have I already said that? There, there's no church in the world, I can tell you, like this church right here. I'm just so happy to be with you all. 
Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Amen. You may be seated. God's design for a husband. God is good. Amen. God is good. That's, that's who he is. It's what he does. And it's what he gives to us, his goodness. You know, from the opening verses of the Bible, the very first chapter of Genesis, the Holy Spirit reveals to us the goodness of God. Somewhere in the distant, timeless past, when there was nothing at all but God, God spoke the worlds into existence. Genesis 1 tells us that the earth was void, without form, uninhabited, and completely covered by darkness. And then God went to work. He commanded, let there be light, and there was light. And the Bible says God saw the light and saw that it was good. Good as God is good. And then he lifted the waters, an ocean from the oceans, and he created the skies. Land ascended, mountains towered above, oceans rushing swiftly down their slopes. God saw it all and said, it is good. And as the sun, the moon, and the stars burst, burst forth with light, the earth began to burst forth with life. From the birds of the sky to the creatures of the waters, and all of it was good. Good as God is good. In Genesis chapter 1, the glory of God is displayed. And the conclusion of God's work is repeated six times. It was good. It was good. It was good. And that word good in the Old Testament means beautiful. Genesis chapter 1 ends by telling us about what God created on the sixth day. It says that he created man in his own image. And it tells us that when he created man, he, he made them male and female. And he blessed them. And he commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply. And then when we come to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2 fills in the details about when God created both man and woman. And in Genesis chapter 2, we read that when God made Adam and breathed life into him, God said to Adam, I give you the earth to have dominion over all nature, even over the animal kingdom. The earth is yours. It's, it's like a kingdom to you. You will rule over it and inhabit as your own. God even brought forth animals to Adam to name whatever he wanted to name them. Adam had the whole earth to himself, and all the creation of God was his to rule over. And when God looked at Adam, and notice how Adam was looking at every animal of the world, and seeing how every male animal had a counterpart, a female. 
I think God allowed Adam to start feeling lonely inside. Although Adam had all the earth to rule over, God allowed him to feel a loneliness. He needed someone, not an animal, not any other creature, someone like himself who could feel like he feels, to be emotional like he's emotional, to walk through life as he walks through life. God looked at Adam, and for the first time, God said, it is not good. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper, somebody like him to walk with him. And so God put Adam to sleep, and while Adam rested, God took a rib from Adam and created Eve. And when Adam woke up and looked at Eve, he must have been thinking that she was the most beautiful thing of all God's creation. More dazzling than all the stars of the universe was Eve to Adam. And then God concludes everything, and the Bible says it was very good. You hear that, ladies? It was only after God created the woman that God could finally say, now it is very good. The Bible tells us, men, in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen? Husbands, look at your wives, if you can, and say, I have found a good thing. And now wives, say back to your husbands, you better believe it. Amen. And now let's hear what God says about being a husband to your wife. What is a husband? What is God's design for a husband? Well, let's turn our attention now to the scripture verses that we read from Ephesians. And let's see what God says about what a husband is intended to be. Ready? Let's begin with number one. What is a husband? According to God, he is a man of God. Again, Ephesians 5 verse 25 starts with the, just the simple word husbands. And we'll just stop right there. Husbands. Husbands. It's a title for a man. It's an honorable title for a man. The word husband literally means to be a man. In other words, to be a real man. Not just any male, not any man, but a real man. Who is a real man? A real man is someone who follows Jesus Christ. It begins and ends with Christ. Without Christ, we are not true men in the world. To be a real man is to live for Jesus. That is what God has intended for man. Just as the earth was created to be inhabited by man, man was created to be inhabited by God himself. And when a man comes to a relationship with God, he is now a true man, he who lives for Christ. Success does not make us men. Wealth doesn't make us men. Intelligence doesn't make us men. Nor does strength make us men. But being born again in the Spirit 
and following Jesus makes us men indeed. You know that we have four daughters. And so there's often a conversation about one day, far, far into the future, about getting married. And our advice, even my advice to my own daughters, don't feel like you have to find a perfect man, because you'll look forever to find that. It's not that you have to find a perfect man. Find a man who desires to be like Christ. Begin with that. If he doesn't desire to be like Christ, move on and find someone else. Find someone who wants to be like Jesus. Even my daughters will say to me, they'll say, Dad, we want to find a husband who's like you. <laughs> and while that warms my heart and gives me nice feelings inside, I have to remind them what they need to do is find a husband who's like Jesus. I don't want my daughters to hold me up as the example of what a husband should be. I want them to hold up Christ and find a man who wants to be like Christ. That's a true man. When I went to America, we had the wonderful privilege, my wife and I, to do marriage counseling for my nephew, Tommy, and now his new wife, Heather. And we didn't have much time to do this. We had about two or three hours on a, a Saturday morning, I think it was, or a Friday morning. We went to their house and and I'm thinking to myself, what am I going to say to these two young people? I've only got a couple of hours to do this. I mean, usually, you guys know, marriage counseling goes on and on for weeks and months. And so I sat down with them at, their, at the table, and I just said, listen, I could give you so much advice. And if I could give you the perfect advice about getting a good job, caring about your career, being wise with your money, investing and making money. If I could give you advice on how to treat each other and to be good and kind to each other, none of it will make any sense and none of it will even matter unless you get this one thing. You must be saved by Christ. You must come into a relationship with Jesus and be saved. And I even said to them, if you can do that, if that is step one, oh, then the rest of it is going to come so much easier to you. Yes, there's still more advice I could give you. Yes, there's still more counseling. But if you at least start with the foundation of Jesus Christ, I'm confident you'll do well in every other area of life. And it was so wonderful to hear both of them say at that table, I believe in Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. Praise God. That's where it begins. Nothing compares to knowing Christ. A husband is to be a man of God. That is a man who honors Jesus. A man who builds his life on Christ and obeys his word. And husbands, your wives, they need to know that you are following and obeying Christ. Now why do you suppose that is? Why is that important? Well, you know, just a few verses before what we read from Ephesians, Paul gave instructions to the wife. He said, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, that verse, that word, submit, causes so much controversy today. People want to redefine it. People want to ignore it. People want to pretend that it doesn't belong into the Bible or in a marriage. 
What is up with that word, submit? Well, people often look at it from two different extremes. One extreme is a man who's filled with pride, who thinks that submit means he can abuse his wife, and she must do whatever he tells her to do as though she's a slave. The other extreme is a man of weakness, a man who tries to eliminate that whole word, submit. A man who doesn't want to take on the responsibility of actually leading his family. God has not called us to be men of pride, nor men of weakness, but to be men of God, followers of Christ, leaders of our family. And just to show you what this would look like, during that counseling session that we had with Tommy and Heather, I said to Heather, when we got into that verse, wives submit to your husband, I said, let me read you this verse, and I just want you to tell me, what, what does this mean to you? Submit to Tommy. Tell me, how do you feel about that? What does that make you think of? And she said, well, to me it means that I follow Tommy, knowing that I can trust in him and knowing that he follows the will of God. And I said, young lady, perfect answer. A wife can learn to submit to her husband when she knows that she can trust her husband. To know that her best interests are in his mind. And to know that he's following Christ and wanting to do the will of God. When a wife can be confident that her husband is following the Lord, a wife can say, I will follow along. I can trust in you, husband. I can follow because I believe in you. And I believe that you care about me. And I believe that you are following Jesus. Husbands that are here today, if I were to ask your wife about submitting, and I would say to her, why do you submit to your husband? If your wife tells me, I submit to my husband because I have to. Because the Bible says I have to do it. And I just have to do it. If that's your wife's response, shame on you. Shame on you, husband. If your wife submits simply because she feels like she has to submit to you. Now it's true, that's what the Bible says. But a woman, much like Heather, should say, I trust my husband. And I know that he cares about me and our family. And I know that he's following God. And I trust and I follow. And just as a side note, wives, sometimes your husband will be stubborn. You wives know that already. Sometimes your wives will be stubborn. The good news is, as a man of God, he has such a relationship with God that God will punish him and rebuke him if he mistreats you and if he's stubborn toward you. So there are times where you may have to just say, God, he's not listening. God, I know what he's about to do isn't right. And then comes the day where you just say, God, I leave him into your hands. Watch out, husbands, because when God is done with you, he will humble you. If you have a husband who's not a man of God, 
then in your submission, God will give you grace to endure. Either way, leave it in God's hands. If your husband doesn't want to listen, if your husband does what is contrary to God's word, don't worry, leave it in God's hands. God knows what to do, and he will rebuke husbands. Amen. Husbands, be exactly what that term suggests. An honorable man of God. So not only is number one, he a man of God, number two, a husband is a man of love. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Notice what Paul gives as the perfect example of how a husband is to love his wife. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives just as Adam loved Eve. He doesn't say, husbands, love your wives just as Abraham loved Sarah. He also doesn't say, husbands, love your wives like Hosea, who is a beautiful picture of God's redeeming love. He doesn't say, love your wives as Hosea loved Gomer. No, love your wives just as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for her. That love is a sacrificial love. It's a love of sacrifice. Jesus, as the example of that love, the Bible says that he gave himself for the bride, the church, you and me. He gave himself. The Bible also says that he humbled himself. God, the Son, stepped off his throne of glory, came into this dark, sin-filled world, became a man like you and me. He lived a perfect life only to be mocked and rejected and crucified. He humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross. Why? because he loves you. The Bible says God's greatest demonstration of love is Christ on the cross for you. It's a love of sacrifice. He also put his needs aside. When you read through the Gospels, whether Jesus was hungry or thirsty or just needing to find a nap, he always put other people's needs before his own. His disciples were often worried about him. Jesus, you need to eat. You need to drink. You need to take a rest. But before he took care of himself, he was always taking care of the needs of others. That's sacrifice. That's humility and sacrifice. Jesus said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom. And Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. That's the kind of love that a husband is to love his wife with, a sacrificial love. In that kind of love, there's no room for pride and selfishness. I could give you many examples in my own life where I have made, well, in our marriage, 
Usually when I have made the most idiotic decisions of life in our marriage, it's usually because I did something I wanted to do. I wasn't worried about what Hira thought. I wasn't really considering her advice. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Every time, it was the most stupid thing for me to do. And I had to learn the wrong way, or the, the hard way. And that was by God's discipline. Anytime we sit down with a, a soon-to-be-married couple, and we're talking about the importance of husbands, not just leading the family without any input at all, but to listen to your wife's counsel. Listen to her wisdom. I have found so many times in my own life, God speaks to me through my wife. And the moment I make a decision with any, without any consideration for her, I always make a mistake. When we sit down with a young married couple and I get on that subject, my wife will say, hey, tell them the BMW story. And you've probably heard that before because I've told it many times. It's the perfect example. Make a long story short, I wanted a car. My wife said no. And I said yes. My wife said we can't afford it. I said yes we can. My wife said you don't need it. I said yes I do. I couldn't afford it. I didn't need it. I just wanted it. And finally, after weeks of arguing over it, my wife said, okay, go and do what you're going to do, which meant, God, you better do something about him. And I bought my BMW, and in six months, I hated that car, and I wanted to get rid of it as soon as possible for many different reasons. I drove it to a dealership. I said to the salesperson, Will you, what, what would you give me for my car? The first number he said, okay, take it, it's yours. I called my wife and I said, can you come pick me up? I'm standing on the sidewalk in front of a car dealership. And when I got into the car, I said, I'm sorry. I didn't listen. The sad thing is there's been many BMW stories in my life. And usually when I ignore my wife's advice, I make mistakes. Husbands, we are not to go in on it alone. God has given us a helper to help us through life and all how we need help. You are to love your wife and treasure her above all other things in this world. She is more important to you than money. She's more important than your job. She's more important than your hobbies. She's more important than your ministry. And husbands, she's more important than you. That's what this love talks about. It's giving so much more to someone else. It's holding up your wife as more important than yourself. That's what it means to love your wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. A few weeks ago, as I said before, in America, there were still many things that we needed to do and more things that we needed to accomplish while we were there. We thought that we would be back around the first week of December, so we still had about a month and a half of work that we needed to get done. But my in-laws called my wife and wanted to know if she could come home earlier because there were some things that she needed to help the family with. And so my wife came and said, my parents need us to go home. 
Can we do that? And I immediately said, of course. She said, I need to go home. I said, okay, then we will go home. I didn't want my wife to think for one moment that going home early was going to spoil our trip. I wanted her to know if you need to go home, I will drop everything right now and go home because it's what's important for you. We are to love our wives in such a way where we honor them and hold them up and put their interests before our own. That's the love of Christ. Husbands, love your wives. A sacrificial kind of love. There's no room for selfishness, but always considering what is best for your wife and what is best for your children. A husband, he is a man of God. He is a man of love. And number three, he is a man of growing faith. Let's look at this, these two verses, 26 and 27. Speaking of Christ, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Jesus is not only concerned with just saving you. He's also concerned with presenting his church as glorious. Not living as captives of sin, but being cleansed by his blood. Learning his word and learning to live in holiness before him. Now these words that Paul speaks, he is speaking about Jesus but still in the context as an example for the husband. These words are given as an example of what a husband should be for his wife. A husband should be concerned with the spiritual life of his wife. Now the husband cannot save her. The husband can't cleanse her of sin. Only Jesus can do that. But the husband should take the responsibility to always encourage his wife to know the Lord and to walk in obedience before him and to always point his wife to Jesus no matter what. That's our responsibility. A husband, and especially a father, a husband should lead the family in prayer. Be the leader when it comes to having devotions. And the husband should demonstrate Christ's love and humility and forgiveness for his wife and children to see. The husband is to be a man of growing faith, but not just his own. Also the growing faith of his wife. He must look unto his wife and encourage her to grow in faith and in trust to grow in the knowledge of God's Word and to walk by faith in it. I've met way too many couples where the wife is dedicated to church, she's growing in her relationship with the Lord, but the husband is just too distracted with his own hobbies and the husband is just lazy in life. God will not 
have it that way. That is not God's design. For the husband to just watch his wife growing in the Lord while he sits back and does nothing in his relationship with the Lord. God will never honor a man like that. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, Peter says, husbands likewise dwell with them, your wives, meaning in an intimate way, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Heirs together of the grace of life. In other words, we are to be united together and we are to be growing together in the grace of God. Never just one person growing while the other one is just stale and doing nothing. We are to grow together as husband and wife. Heirs together of all God's promises that are found in Christ. We are to grow together. And when you face the trials of life and you face them together, trusting in God together, your prayers being made together, then those prayers will not be hindered. No, on the contrary, God will show himself strong and merciful in your prayers when you are doing it together, united in faith. We can focus on the warning that God says, husbands, if you don't grow with your wife in faith, don't expect God to listen to your prayers, but look at it on the positive side. When you are united together, and you lift up the prayer of faith, I believe God will demonstrate how good he is, how strong he is, how faithful he is, how merciful he is toward a husband and wife who have joined together in prayer. I can think of two times where praying with my wife, I knew it was powerful and effective. One time when we were praying for her grandmother who was dying in the hospital, at the time, her grandmother had many visitors coming in who were not Christian. The grandmother had just given her life to Jesus, but now all the non-believers are coming to try to persuade her to go back to her dead religion. And when my wife and I got to the hospital room, you could feel the thickness in the air of evil. You could just sense what was happening in that, world, that room. They weren't treating us nasty. They weren't mean to us but you could sense something evil was at work in that room. And when we walked into that room, they stepped aside and we walked up to the bed where her grandmother was. And when we began to pray, it was just so natural to take each other by the hand. And when I took my wife's hand, I felt power. I felt the presence of God in that room. And I knew God was at work in what we were about to pray. In fact, I could barely get the words out of my mouth because I was crying, because I knew God was there in the midst of our unity. And when we prayed that prayer of faith, we believe with all of our heart, her grandmother died with faith in Christ and is present with Jesus today. I remember praying like that again 
when our youngest daughter, Ella, was in the emergency room here in Samarang. She had to go get a CT scan done because she was slipping into a coma and they knew her brain was swelling. So they rushed her to the scan to see how much swelling there was in the brain. And while she was in that room, I was able to FaceTime with my wife who was coming back from Korea. She wasn't even here yet. And we were so worried. We were a mess. It was hard to even talk to each other because we didn't know what was happening. But we knew we just needed to pray. So even over FaceTime, looking at her face on my, my phone screen, we just bowed our heads. And once again, it was so hard to even let the words come out because of crying. But we prayed and we asked God to please show mercy. Be merciful to us, God. We both admitted that we have nothing without God. He is our only hope. And we prayed and we cried and we believed. Not only is our daughter with us today and perfectly healthy, but a day later in the hospital, her doctor came to us and she said, you know, I thought for sure yesterday your daughter was going to die. She said, I knew if she's going to die, she will die while getting a brain scan in that CT scan room. She said, I thought for sure while in that room, that's when she's going to die. And I thought I was coming to this hospital to explain to her parents why she died. And when I heard those words, I remembered that was the moment, the moment where a husband and wife, heirs together of the grace of God, united in faith and in love, believing that God can do all things. It was in that moment that God showed up in that hospital room and brought a miracle to our life. God will show himself strong and merciful when a husband and wife unite in prayer. Amen. Husbands, from one husband to another. Listen, we are to be men of God. We are to build our lives upon Jesus. If it's not on Christ, you are standing on sinking sand. And everything you attempt to build, it will come crashing down. And Jesus says, great will be your fall. But upon Christ, our lives are built on a solid rock and we will not be moved. You will have that honorable title, husband, man of God. Be a man of God who follows Christ. Be a man of love, loving your wife, exalting her above your own needs, sacrificing your own desires and your own wishes, your own wants of life. Lay it all down for the sake of your wife and your children. Treat them as a treasure in this world and you will allow no one to come and break in and steal what God has given to you. Protect them with your own life. Be willing to lay your own life down for your wife and children. And husbands, be men of growing faith. Be responsible not only for your own faith, walk with the Lord, but watch over your wives as well. Be a gatekeeper for your own family and make sure you are always encouraging, always pointing your family to Jesus Christ, 
always leading in prayer, always leading in devotion. Be a man, a real man, a true man. Be a husband. That's God's design. Amen. Praise the Lord. Musicians, would you come? I asked Sister Yanti to sing a song today called, Lord, I Need You. And today, this song isn't just for us husbands, but don't we all need the Lord? Husbands, we need the Lord. And wives, you also need the Lord. And maybe your husbands are reminding you of that often with their stubbornness and their pride. Kids, families, we all need Jesus. Can we all stand together and make this song our prayer today? And at its conclusion, I will also close in prayer. Sister Yanti.